You're listening to In Defense with Dr. R.G. Willard, a Christian apologetics podcast equipping you to give a defense for the hope that is in you and to speak truth in Jesus' name. On today's episode, Dr. Willard will examine the second premise of the Kalam cosmological argument, the universe began to exist. You are listening to In Defense with me, Dr. R.G. Willard, a Christian apologetic bringing you appeal and defense for the Christian faith. We are on episode four of this series of my favorite argument for God's existence, the Kalam cosmological argument. Last episode, if you didn't listen to it, go back and listen to it. You would Hopefully you guys would love that and like that. We talked about the first premise of the argument that whatever begins to exist has a cause of its existence. In this episode, we are going to be diving in to premise two of the argument. The universe began to exist. Now, before I dive into it, I want to give two disclaimers that I find important. The first one is this. We, I'm going to be touching the surface level of these arguments. There has been centuries of literature on these kinds of arguments, and I can do a but bare minimum within the time frame that I have of this podcast. So I want to let you know there is so much information on this. I have spent years in research, and I'm trying to give to you the arguments and the conclusion to the arguments the best I can with the time I have allotted. The second disclaimer I want to offer to you is I'm going to stick with Dr. William Lane Craig's work. Since he is the modern um, defender of this argument, I want to stick with his work and offer up the sections of argument that are within his literature. Now, what we find in Dr. Craig's literature are the two main considerations and argument for the second premise to be true and more likely be true. There is a philosophical consideration. And there is a scientific consideration. For the first part of this episode, I want to dive into the philosophical considerations. Now, philosophical considerations are laid out in deductive form, where you have premises that lead to a conclusion. Now, a side note on this, personally, these are my favorite arguments for this premise that the universe began to exist. I am fully persuaded by the philosophical arguments. In this premise, the scientific arguments for me are fascinating and they work hand in hand with the philosophical arguments. But for my disposition, I really, really love these types of arguments. And so he lays out two main types of philosophical deductive arguments in the first section in defense of premise two. And they are arguments against actual infinities existing in reality. And so here is the first of the two arguments I want to present to you today. Let me state it and I will explain it for you. Premise one, an actual infinite cannot exist. Premise two, an infinite temporal regress of events is an actual infinite. Conclusion, therefore, an infinite temporal regress of events cannot happen. Let me state that one more time and I'll explain it for you. Premise one, an actual infinite cannot exist. Premise two, an infinite temporal regress of events is an actual infinite. And conclusion, therefore, an infinite temporal regress of events cannot happen. Now, some of you might have gone, what in the world are you talking about? Now, to help better understand what he is doing here, let me define two main terms that we see in this argument. The first is the idea of infinity or infinite. 
Now, most of you, I'm sure, have this notion of infinity in your mind, where it is like this endless, keep going, keep going, right? But when I refer to infinite, I picture that too, but I also picture the idea of having a set that's boundless or without limit. It never stops. It has no end. And so I have this idea of this infinity, keep going. There is this no last portion of this limit. It is this endless or boundless limit of this set. Now, temporal regress is a term he uses as well. And let me break this up for you because I think it's easy once it's broken up. When he says temporal, it's referring to time. And the idea of regress is means going backwards. So when he mentions the idea of temporal regress, he means going backwards in time. So given those definitions, this is the argument simply put. If we think an actual infinite cannot exist in reality, then we should not believe the past is actually infinite since an actual infinite cannot exist in reality. And in order to do this, he tries to motivate you to see how absurd reality would be if we were to allow infinite to exist in metaphysical reality, actually ontologically exist in reality. And let me just give you one example that he argues, and it's called the infinite library. If you want to know more about this, there is a ton of literature on the hundreds of paradoxes that we find when we talk about infinite limits and infinite sets. But I want to focus on the strangeness of the example of the infinite library. Now picture for a second in your head that there is this infinite library, right? There's this huge, massive library. I don't ever know when it would be done being constructed, but just for example's sake, just say there's this library that's monstrous. And when you walk in, it is so large. There is an actual infinite, an actual infinite amount of books on the shelves. And you notice, while the books are laid out in a specific color order, we see it in blue, red, blue, red, blue, red, blue, red, all the way down the shelf for the whole infinite amount of books. Now, the weirdness of the example doesn't matter if it's blue, red, blue, red. It could be three blues and one red or 10 blues and two reds. It doesn't matter as long as you have an infinite amount of different colors, red and blue. But say you see the library and it's blue, red, blue, red, blue, red, blue, red, and you have a thirst for reading and you decide, hey, I want to check out all of the red books. And so you check out the infinite amount of red books in the library. Now, what is strange about this? Well, what's strange about it is that prior to you checking out, you have an infinite amount of books. Then you check out an infinite amount of red books. Now, what you're probably thinking is you've checked out all of the books in the library. There was an infinite amount of books before you began, and you checked out an infinite amount of red books. But that is not the case. In fact, you are left with the same amount of books on the shelves just being blue than when you began, as well as when you checked out. There is still an infinite amount of books left on the shelf. Weird, right? But these types of examples would happen if an actual infinite could exist in reality. But let me get a little stranger with this example. Suppose the librarian came in and goes, I wanna reorganize these shelves, right? I wanna truly reorganize these shelves. And he noticed that there's all of these gaps because books take up space. There's all of these gaps because of the red books being checked out. 
And so he wants to make room for more books on the shelf. So what he does with all of his might, he takes the last blue book and he pushes all of the blue books together to fill in the missing spaces, the red books left. Now, here's the weird thing. Even though he pushed in all of the blue books to fill in the infinite gaps, he's going to find that there still is no room on the shelf because the blue books still take up the infinite amount of room that was on the shelf. But that's also weird because there was space because of the red books. But as soon as you put the blue books together, there still is no space available. It's very, very strange. And there are hundreds and hundreds of examples of the weird things that you would have to allow in reality if an actual infinite could exist in reality. So if you don't think it can't resist, exist in reality, then the next step is we shouldn't then think the past is actually infinite because it would be an actual infinite amount of past days. And so if you find premise one to be true, an actual infinite cannot exist, we then shouldn't believe that the past is an actual infinite amount of days, bringing us to the conclusion that somewhere in the past, all of these days began to exist. The second argument in the philosophical considerations states this. Let me read this to you again, and I'll explain it once more. Premise one, a temporal series of events is a collection formed by successive addition. Premise two, a collection formed by successive addition cannot be actually infinite. Conclusion, therefore, the temporal series of events cannot be actually infinite. Let me read that one more time. Premise one. The temporal series of events is a collection formed by successive addition. A, co a collection of formed by successive addition cannot be an actual infinite. Conclusion, therefore, the temporal series of events cannot be an actual infinite. And Dr. Craig asked these two questions for us to think about. He asked you to do this. Start at one, and then count to two, and then count to three, and then count to four, and then count to five, so on and so forth until you get infinity. And he's going to ask you, when will you hit infinity? Now, of course, by successive addition, by definition, you're never going to reach the end limit because infinity doesn't have this end limit. You're never going to get there. And that's a great conclusion to have because that seems to be true. <laughs> and then he asked another question. Can you tell me how the past is collected? Now, that might seem a bit strange of a question but I think it's very pertinent to this argument. Think about this for a second. If he were to ask you, how is the past actually collected? Most of us, or some of us, I should say, would, will take the present moment and subtract yesterday and the day after that and the day after that and the day after that. But in reality, that is not how we collect days of the past. Think about this. If I were to ask you, how do you get till next Friday? Well, you'll go, well, Ryan, you need to add the next day and have the next day and then Tuesday and then Wednesday and then Thursday. And then finally you hit that present moment of that next Friday. And what this shows is the past is not collected by subtracting moments from the present. The past is collected by adding days onto each other to get to each present moment. In fact, the past is collected by successive addition. 
And if that's the case, and we can't by successive addition count to infinity, the question is, if we are in the end of the infinite limit since you, if some people think the past is infinite, how in the world did I even get to this moment? Think about this for a second. If the past is infinite and we have arrived at the present moment, we have hit the end of the infinite limit. But if the past is collected by successive addition and we can never add up to infinity, how did we hit this present moment? And then yesterday is also that same end of the infinite by successive addition. How do we do that? And the day before, how do we get to that day? And the day before, how do we get to that day? And so on and so forth. It seems strange because this argument brings us to the conclusion it appears we can't get to any moment ever. But clearly that's false because we are here in this present moment. If this is true, then we shouldn't think that we have this actual infinite of temporal series or temporal regress that somewhere in the past, every single day began to exist. Now, a side note here, there is some great work being done out there by Dr. Uh, Coons and Dr. Proust that argue against what is called an infinite causal regress, meaning you can't have causes that go infinitely back in time. And here's something that's brilliant about their work. They argue not that it's just metaphysically impossible. They argue that it's logically impossible. They don't just argue that you can't have it in reality, but that it is logically impossible. So any theory, whether it be a philosophy or science, that posits an infinite causal regress has to be wrong if they can show that this is logically impossible to achieve. And I find their arguments absolutely persuasive. So this is the consideration one, the philosophical considerations to show that somewhere in the past, all things began to exist. Now, what we have is the second category, the scientific considerations. And the scientific considerations are inductive reasoning where we look out into the world and try to take with inference from science to answer the question, should we believe or more likely believe that the universe began to exist? And Dr. Craig and his work offers up two main arguments to hold that premise to in the scientific considerations is true. I'm going to give you both of the arguments and I'm going to briefly discuss the information. There are books and books within each one of these that I urge you guys to go out there and read. If you want more sources, go ahead and contact me and I will give you that contact information at the end of this episode. So his first argument is the argument from the expansion of the universe. In the early 1920s, Einstein formulated what are called relativity theories. And in these theories, he assumed two major things. One, that the universe is uniform and that it's uniform in all directions. And secondly, that the universe is in a steady state. But there was a problem. According to his general relativity, he found it hard to get a model that blended both of them. So he incorporated what is called a, 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 a constant cosmological, sorry, a cosmological constant into his gravitational field equations, which in the end, he actually considered one of his biggest blunders that he has ever made. 
Because what happened in the roughly the same time in 1929, Edward Hubble noticed that the universe was actually expanding in his work. And he demonstrated that there was a redshift all across the entire universe. And a redshift basically means that all of the sources of light are receding or moving outward from the observer. And that it's it's not just expanding, but it's expanding in all the directions. Everywhere in the universe is expanding. This gives us what is called the quote unquote, the common Big Bang model of cosmology. Look what Dr. Barrow and Tipler write about this. At the singularity, space and time came into existence. Literally nothing existed before the singularity. So if the universe originated at such a singularity, we would truly have a creation ex nihilo, a universe out of nothing. The standard model of Bing Bang cosmology gets us to this singularity, and so far it is still the model that is upheld today. The second argument within the scientific considerations is the argument from thermodynamics of the universe. Thermodynamics states that the heat flows from a point of high temperature to a point of low temperature, and the reverse is never possible without some sort of composition. Uh, Sort of compensation to the universe. Boltzmann developed the second law to show that the leveling is founded in the tendency of any system to pass from less probable to more probable. And since the universe is a closed system, there's no energy leakage in or there's no energy leakage out, it's possible. But the problem is this according to the second law of thermodynamics, the universe should reach this state of this, this equilibrium state within a finite amount of time. But the problem is this, if we are to think the universe is infinite in the past, technically the universe should have reached this equilibrium state already. If the equilibrium according to the second law should be reached in a finite amount of time and the universe is infinitely old, why haven't we reached this equilibrium state? And what solves this discrepancy is the fact that the universe somewhere in the past is finite. We don't know how far back necessarily concretely, but somewhere in the past, the universe is finite. If there is an infinite amount of days or moments prior to this recording, shouldn't have reached this equilibrium point already. It seems that it should have. Now, once again, there is much more to talk about in both of these sections, but from what I have offered from Dr. Craig's work, it gives reasons to think that the universe began to exist is reasonable and more possible than not. We took a look at the philosophical considerations as well as the scientific considerations to the premise too. Now, next time we meet, we're going to take a look at the conclusion that the universe then has a cause of its existence and try to determine through the Kalam, can we at all see or find some attributes of a kind of thing that would be a cause of the universe. So if any questions or comments, please reach out to us. You can find me at ryan at ryanwillert.org. That's W-I-L-L-E-R-T, ryan at ryanwillert.org. You can find us at theriverradio.com at their podcast page. If you would like to come in and bless us and sponsor us, we would love that to walk alongside you guys. 
Other than that, I hope you guys have a great week and we'll see you on the next episode for the Kalam Cosmological Argument. This podcast is a production of River Radio Ministries. You can find more podcasts like this one at riverradio.com. And if you like what you're hearing, make sure to subscribe wherever you're listening now and be sure to tell a friend so they can listen too.